If we have not met, my name is Maddie, and I hold a lot of titles, like all of you, a lot of identities, right? And these are some of mine up here on the screen. I am a disciple of Jesus. I'm a wife. I'm a mother. I'm a pastor. I'm a friend. I'm a musician. I'm a worshiper. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. I'm a Gilmore Girls lover. I am a, yeah, I knew that'd get some, 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 some loves there. Um, I am a gardener. I'm a baker. I'm an avid essential oils user. I am a, thank you, Summer. I am a neighbor. I am a cat mom. And I am also a daughter-in-law. And uh, some of you are also daughter-in-law, son-in-law. Who, who's his daughter-in-law? Who's his son-in-law? Raise your hands. Yeah, yeah, you know what that's like, right? You know what that title's like. Uh, it's fun, it's fun. Uh, I, real, I love my in-laws, I do, I love them a lot. Um, so good morning, Dave and Tracy online. I know you're watching from your couch in California. Um, love ya. Uh, <laughs> and if you are married, engaged, or dating, or um, if you're single but you have a brother-in-law or a sister-in-law, you know this very simple truth that when you get married, you marry their family, right? Is that true? Yes, that is true. That is what happens. And you know, like I knew that, right? Like I knew that, uh, you know, I'm dating, you know, Nick and I were dating, we were engaged and I like had an idea. I had a feeling that that was the case, but then we got married, right? And that truth becomes, becomes very real very, very fast, and you're in, like you're in with this family and you don't really know them, right? And the first thing that happens when this happens is you kind of like, you take, you take a minute and you're like at a family gathering, like the first one, and you're like, oh, like this is different, right? This is different than what my family's like, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. That's just how it is because, you know, I grew up the way that I grew up. I grew up with my own traditions with my family. We had nicknames for each other and, and we had, you know, our, our family dinner was the way that it was and we ate at seven, you know, like little things like this. And then you go and you're a part of somebody else's family like immediately and you're like, oh, wait, this is different. <laughs> That's that's not how I do it, right? Uh, like for example, my uh, family, my, my in-laws, they eat canned green beans with like every meal. And I was like, that's weird. Like that's weird, that's a weird thing to do. I, you, know, I, you know, you can mix it up, throw a salad in there sometimes, you know? Like it doesn't have to be canned green beans every single meal. Or like the way that they made tacos was so weird to me. I'd never had that before. Now, luckily they're the best tacos I've ever had in my life. So, I mean, we still make them like once a week at our house, but. I had a particular incident where the differences of my upbringing uh, kind of just came head to head with um, Nick's side of the family right when we first got married. And my mother-in-law did give me permission to share this story because um, Tracy, I know you're listening. Uh, but <laughs> uh, no, so my mother-in-law calls, she called her in-laws mom and dad. Okay, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. That's just what she did. She called her in-laws mom and dad. That's how things worked over there. It worked out for them. But I watched my parents call their in-laws their names, you know? And so what happened is that when Nick and I got married, I like didn't really know what to do because I kind of felt like nobody said anything to me, but I just kind of felt like I needed to call my in-laws mom and dad but like, I didn't really feel like I should. And so it was kind of this weird, like, what do I do? And so I just like, didn't call them anything for like a year and a half. <laughs> 
just like, I was just like, hey, hey, you, <laughs> you know, it's like kind of awkward and like everybody knew, but like nobody said anything. <laughs> and um, now it's great because I have a child. And so I just call my mother-in-law grandma and, you know, <laughs> that works out. But anyways, we had a conversation about it. I mean, we just talked about it. We laid it all out there. I was like, hey, this is weird for me. And I know you don't expect anything from it. And I know you're not expecting me to call you mom, but like I have a mom and I call her mom. And uh, I have a stepmom who's been in my life since I was 12 and I don't call her mom. And like, I kind of feel like she's in line first because I've known her longer. So like, you know, and so and we had a conversation about it and we worked it out. But all that to say, right, when you get married, you marry their family, okay? You're in, you're with these people for life. Like just like you married your spouse and you're in with them for death do us part, you're in with this family, right? The same thing. And so for the month of February, we're going through a relationship series, right? Love at first fight because conflict is inevitable but resolution is not, right? We have to choose to resolve the conflicts in our lives. They never resolve themselves on their own. And we're certainly gonna focus on the conflicts that happen in marriage, like we are. But oftentimes the conflicts that happen in our marriages are a result of the conflicts that are happening on the outside of us. So we're gonna pray before we open our text this morning. Jesus, we are here to hear from you this morning. Lord, give us ears to hear what you want to say to us this morning, Lord. Lord, I ask that you rid of the temptation to say that person sitting next to me really needs to hear this. Lord, I ask that you, you rid of the temptation to think about what other people need to hear this morning, but Lord, may we replace that, that thought with the question of, Lord, what are you trying to say to me this morning? What are you trying to say to my marriage this morning? What are you trying to say about my family this morning? What are you trying to say about my friendships or about the way that I treat people this morning, Lord? So Lord, we are here in the song that we just sang, I will make room for you, do whatever you want to, right? Lord, so just have your way with us this morning. We are here open with arms open, ready to accept whatever you have, Lord. So we love you so much, amen. All right, so open your Bibles to Genesis 29. And as you were doing that, I'd just like to take a moment to say that if you do not own a Bible, we would really love to give you one. So you can see me at the welcome desk after this, and I would love to give you a Bible. Um, <clears throat> a little forewarning uh, before we jump into our text this morning. Some of the stories that happen in the Bible are a little um, intense. Um, it's just some things that are going on, there's plot twists, there's, oh my gosh, no, she didn't, and I can't believe he said that kind of moments, right? Um, sometimes it gets a little PG-13, gets a little rated R, um, and basically that's just my way of telling you that it's gonna get a little weird today. Um, we're gonna get weird, uh, it's gonna be fine, we're gonna make it through, but we're gonna get weird. Um, our text is also pretty dense, so stick with me, we're gonna uh, cover a lot of ground today, so uh, let's get weird. Genesis 29, then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the Eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the wells was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. Then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. 
Jacob asked the shepherd, my brothers, where are you from? We're from Haran, they replied. He said to them, do you know Laban, Nahor's grandson? Yes, we know him, they answered. Then Jacob asked them, is he well? Yes, he is, they said, and here comes his daughter Rachel with the sheep. Look, he said, the sun is still high. It is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to the pasture. We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel, daughter of his uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. He had told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and a son of Rebekah, so she ran and told her father. As soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home, and there Jacob told him all these things. Then Laban said to him, you are my own flesh and blood. <clears throat> all right, let's recap this. So Jacob's on a journey, okay, a long journey. Uh, to visit Laban, his uncle. He sees some guys and stops to ask them if they know Laban, just making sure we know where we are, right? While he's talking to them, Jacob sees Rachel, which is Laban's daughter, also his cousin. She is shepherding her sheep, and Jacob goes up to her and kissed her and wept aloud, as the text says. We're going to talk about that. So, um... Yeah, so it seems like our man's here is coming on a little strong. Uh, it's just my two cents there. Uh, I mean, most likely he's probably very emotional. I mean, he's been traveling a long time. He finally sees somebody familiar. He's like, oh my gosh, like, I know these people, finally, right? But I mean, you also have to kind of imagine what that was like for Rachel. You know, she's just like doing her thing. Like, she's just taking care of her sheep. And then this guy just comes up to her and kisses her, and then he starts crying. And that's just kind of... Like, that's just kind of a lot, right, to, like, to accept and, like, take in right at that moment. And, you know, really, I, it just gave me an excuse to tell this story, which is amazing. Um, do you know who also came on really strong? Uh, my husband. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to talk about that for a minute. So um, when we had known each other for, like, probably, honey, I'll give you the benefit of doubt, like, six days. Um, maybe seven, but probably six. And... I kind of knew he was crushing on me, and so I would do things like, be like, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry, you know? Oh, I really love In-N-Out. It'd be so crazy if it just like appeared, right? And so then he would go, and he'd be like, yes, of course, my love, I'll do anything for you. And he'd get me, you know, In-N-Out. And so he did that one night, we're in college, <laughs> and he brings me some In-N-Out, and we're sitting in front of our dorms, and we're just chatting, and I'm just eating my burger, and he just looks at me, and he goes, I'm gonna marry you in five years. And I was just kind of like, what? <laughs> like, why would you say that to somebody right now? I've known you for maybe, maybe a week. Like, why would you just say that? And you know, me, I'm not gonna let that go. And so he's sitting there being like, oh my gosh, like, uh, I didn't, I don't know what you, I don't know what I said. You know, that was crazy. Who said that, right? And I'm like, I'm like, what did you just say to me? But the funny part is that we got married actually like two years later, so. <laughs> The joke's on me, but anyways, anyways, Jacob then goes to Laban's house, okay? So that whole thing happens. He then goes to Laban's house, and he's embraced, and he's welcomed into Laban's home. Okay, so things are looking up for Jacob. 
He's got, he's got shelter. He's in with his family. He's got a place to stay. So we're going to keep trucking along in our passage. After Jacob had stayed with him for a whole month, Laban said to him, just because you are a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? Tell me what your wages should be. Now, Laban had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you for seven years in return for your younger daughter, Rachel. Okay, I'm just going to pause and say I realize that they're related. Um, And at this time, this was not illegal for this type of relational closeness in the bloodline to get married. It was still considered far removed enough to be acceptable. Um, That does not mean that's okay, um, but I'm not going to spend our time there this morning. We're going to keep moving on, but I just wanted to say that I realized that that's what's happening. Um, So anyways, Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. So sweet. Then Jacob said to Laban, give me my wife. My time is completed and I want to make love to her. So Laban brought together all the people of the place and gave a feast. All right, so everything's cool, right? Jacob did the work. Laban, his future father-in-law, is on the same page. It is time for the feast because we're having a party. It is a wedding, right? It's going to be awesome, or so we thought, and so we're going to keep going with this story. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. And Laban gave his servant Zilba to his daughter as an attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. So Jacob said to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. Finish this daughter's bridal week, and then we will give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And so Jacob did. Oh, and Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife. Laban gave his servant, Billa, to his daughter, Rachel, as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. Okay. So, Jacob loves Rachel, right? That's established. Jacob cuts a deal with Laban to marry Rachel. Everybody's cool. Everybody's on the same page. Until Laban decides to send in Leah instead on the wedding night. And so, my friends, we've arrived at conflict number one, which is that Laban feels pressured by culture. And you're probably going, um, I'm sorry, where did you get that from? But we have to look back at the text and see why Laban did what he did. Okay? He said, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. That's what he said. That's why he did it. It also seems like he wanted Jacob to work longer and didn't really, you know, want to make a different deal, right? So Laban felt pressured by the customs of his culture, maybe even possibly, you know, his his workload, right, Uh, of his job, and he needed Jacob to keep working. His youngest daughter is about to be married off. His oldest daughter has no prospects in sight. He knows that his peers, his neighbors, are going to look down on him and judge him if his youngest daughter gets married before his oldest daughter, right? So how did Laban decide to solve this problem? 
Well, Laban's resolution was to deceive and manipulate Jacob instead of having a conversation. And so I read this story, and I wonder, I just wonder, what would have happened if Laban would have just told Jacob the truth? I mean, you look at the facts of the story, right? We know Jacob loved Rachel. He was already willing to work for her for seven years, right? This is all true. He did all this willingly. Don't you think that he would have been willing to wait for Leah to get married? Or, or don't you think that he would maybe stick around to pitch in because it's his father-in-law? No, whatever it is that is pressuring Laban to make this decision, don't you think that Jacob would have been understanding? He seems pretty understanding prior to this incident, right? But Laban didn't ask, right? He didn't even try. He just took matters into his own hands and, and decided to make it work with whatever he wanted to do. He assumed the worst in Jacob, right? That he wouldn't understand where he was coming from. And in turn, he committed the worst on his own daughters and his own son-in-law. And don't you think we all struggle with that sometimes? We assume the worst in people. Or we avoid conflict that we think we're going to have out of fear of embarrassment or um, what somebody might think of us, right? Because the reality is I think we can all be laboring sometimes. We assume that people aren't understanding and rather than just being confrontational, we think that if we can meddle or manipulate from the sidelines or just sweep that under the rug, like it never happened, it's a win-win situation. But as Laban has taught us just now, it does not work out that way, right? The initial awkwardness of a hard conversation is far less worse than the disastrous consequences of achieving it another way. So I ask you this this morning, who do you need to have a hard conversation with? Who do you need to have a hard conversation with? I mean, this part of the story is clearly about the relationships with our in-laws, and those relationships can be hard sometimes. They can. They're often difficult to navigate and maybe awkward, but they're also your family. And we have to seek to restore the tension in our relationships. A few months ago, I had a really big conflict with some friends of mine, and we sat down to have a conversation, and it was awkward. <laughs> like, it's awkward. I had to hear some really hard things that I needed to hear. I had to say some really hard things that I really needed to say. But ultimately, by leaning on the Holy Spirit through the whole conversation, our friendship is closer and it's deeper than I could have ever imagined because we were willing to restore the tension in our relationship. God is a God of restoration. He seeks to restore. And I just wonder what would happen to our relationships if we stepped into difficult conversations dependent on his Holy Spirit to restore them. Okay, we got to keep going. So we're going to fast forward to the wedding night. Jacob is with Leah. He thinks it's Rachel, but he's with Leah, right? So you may be wondering how Jacob didn't figure it out. 
Well, part of the marriage tradition is that the bride would wear a veil during the consummation of the marriage, so it's likely that it would have been very difficult to tell that it was Leah and not Rachel. But on the other hand, the text has been very obvious about telling us how in love Jacob was with Rachel, right? I mean, he, it literally says that years <laughs> felt like days to him right? Like that's love. That, that's like borderline obsession, right? And so my married, engaged, dating, even single right now, but have dated before friends, do you remember the crush phase of your relationship? Like you weren't dating yet, right? But you like really liked them. Do you remember that? Maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, you know, you're just like, oh my gosh, he looked at me, you know? But the only reason you know that's because you've been staring at him all day long, right? <laughs> You know, and that may have been a while ago, but also, do you remember the butterflies? Like, just the nervousness, you're like, oh my gosh, you know, the whole time. So, okay, so another Nick story, sorry. <laughs> sorry, Nick. Um, but when Nick and I, before we started dating, you know, we kind of liked each other, right? He was so nervous around me that he would not eat. Like, he was nauseous because, his, like, the butterflies were just, like, so bad. He was so nauseous until I finally was like, hey, I like you too, and then he threw up. <laughs> that's, that's real. That's real. That happened. That happened. Okay, anyways, my point being is that you get to know them, right? Like, this is, there's this infatuation that happens when, when you like somebody, right? And, and, and you notice things about them, right? You notice that weird thing that they do when they laugh, and, and you notice the sound of their voice, right? And, and you notice that they have a weird mole on their hand, right? You notice these things about the people that you like, right? Like, in the beginning, that beginning part of your relationship. You know, you knew those things. And so I just have to, I just have to take a moment and go, Jacob has spent seven years pining after this woman. It's been seven years. And yes, there was a veil. We can give him the benefit of the doubt on that. But don't you think after seven years, he should be able to tell the difference And so we arrive at conflict number two, which is Jacob was so desperate that he did not notice his surroundings. And I think that might be a little harsh. I'm not undermining the fact that he was clearly deceived. Like, that is real. Okay, the odds were against him. He had no choice in that. He did not know going into this. But I'm just curious, okay, what do you think would have happened if he paused to take it all in? You know, the wedding night's a beautiful night. What do you think would have happened if he was like, wow, I love this woman. And then do you think he would be like, oh wait, that's not my woman? Right? Right? And I think sometimes we're guilty of this. We're so desperate for that thing that we want. Right? We're so desperate for that promotion or that status or that guy or that girl or, or you know, whatever it may be that we don't even take a second to notice our surroundings. We don't, we don't take a breath of air to like look up and appreciate where we're at. And so what was Jacob's resolution to this problem? Rather than dealing with his circumstances, Jacob ignored what he had and continued to pursue something else, right? He made another deal with Laban. Right? He said, hey, I know I'm stuck with Leah now, but how about I just work for you some more so that I can have Rachel instead? Because that's what I really wanted. That's what he said. 
And I recognize that Jacob was definitely manipulated here. Like, I, I get that. That happened. But I think sometimes it's really easy to blame our surroundings for what we choose to do with our circumstances. It is not their fault that we choose to be dissatisfied with where we're at. And I just feel like someone needs to hear this morning that it doesn't really matter how you got here. What matters is the fact that we're here now. It doesn't matter what happened before to get to this point. The thing is, is that this is where we are, right? We're here right now. And it might suck. It, it, it may not be what you wanted. And it might be disappointing. Like, I get that. But this is where we are, guys. And we have to deal with it. We have to move forward. And seeking that thing that is just out of reach because you're dissatisfied with what you have now is not the answer. That's what Jacob did. And it just reminds me of um, in John chapter 10 when Jesus says that he's the good shepherd. Okay, Jesus is the shepherd and we are his sheep. And from the perspective of a sheep, we're being taken down this path and we're going, man, I hate that desert. And that tree is really bare. And that's a you know, they don't fix the potholes here. You know, like we're, we're, we're going along this path and we're just going through life, being dissatisfied with every single point that we're at. But we have to zoom out and realize that Jesus is our good shepherd and he knows where he's going, right? As a sheep, we don't really know where we're going. We're just being led around. But when we act like that, we're not trusting that the good shepherd actually knows where he's going because he does right? He knows that he's leading us. And so friends, can I just challenge you that maybe the spot where you're at, that you're dissatisfied is just a pit stop on your journey with God right now? Oh, can we just appreciate where we're at? Can we take a moment to look up and realize that maybe this is where he has us right now for a reason and we have to learn how to navigate through that? Okay, we got to keep going through our passage here. <laughs> this next passage, we're going to fast forward to childbirth. Um, this next passage is Genesis 29, 31 through uh, chapter 30, verse 24. It's really long. Um, and so I'm not going to read the whole thing this morning, but it is about the pain and the struggle of infertility. So Leah begins having children and Rachel is not able and it says, when Rachel saw that her sister was not bearing Jacob any children, she became jealous of her sister. And so in Rachel's jealousy, she makes her servant sleep with Jacob to get pregnant on her behalf. And then Leah is unable to have more children. So she makes her servant sleep with Jacob to get pregnant on her behalf. Okay, then Leah has another child after not being able to conceive for a while. And then finally, Rachel has two sons, and she eventually dies in childbirth during the birth of her second son. And there's a very obvious conflict that's happening here with the fact that Jacob has more than one wife, okay? And the natural conflict that that circumstance breeds. Uh, Pastor Luke talked about that last week, and uh, there are other conflicts in this passage that I want to address. Uh, so if you weren't here with us last week, you can go check that out on our podcast or on our YouTube. Um, but the conflict that I do want to address this morning is Conflict number three, which is the difficulty of infertility. I know many of you know the pain of infertility way too well. The grueling act of trying for a child every time ovulation comes around and it puts a strain on your marriage. Dropping every penny on a pregnancy test that never gives you the answer that you desire. Right? Some of you went all the way to IVF. And it can feel like the most isolating experience. 
feels weird to talk about with other people, and if you do, it feels like they really don't understand what you're going through. And what I want to say to those experiencing infertility right now is that you are not alone, and that sounds cliche, I know, but it's true. You know, what's so crazy about this passage is that both women, Rachel and Leah, experienced infertility at some point in that story. Rachel struggled to have a child from the very beginning and eventually had two sons at the end. Leah was, she had a couple kids and then she was infertile for a period of time and then eventually had another. And I just realized that their, their infertility became a weapon to them rather than a shared grief. And as devastating as infertility is and can be, what's so interesting about this passage is that it quickly went from grieving of, the grieving of not being able to carry a child to the game of keeping score. Right? You know what that is, right? The game of keeping score. It's a little bit worse than the comparison game because the comparison game is I want what they have and I feel like I'm not enough because I don't have it. But the keeping score game is, is I want what they have and I think I'm not enough because I don't have it and so I'm going to do whatever it takes to make them feel that way while I just keep getting more and more and more, right? That's the game of keeping score. And so we arrive at Rachel and Leah's resolution in their jealousy of one another. They brought innocent people into their mess. The two slave women, right? That they, that they forced into this like love octagon that's happening. And you may not be able to relate to the infertility section of this story, but we've all been jealous, right? And we've all been hurt. Have you ever heard the term bleeding on people who didn't cut you? Meaning that you're hurting people who did not hurt you because you're acting out of your pain, right? And that's exactly what they are doing in this passage. And the two slave women that they forced into this relationship thing. And you wanna know something else that I noticed about this story? is that every person in this story, Laban, Jacob, Rachel, Leah, was a victim of somebody else in this story, but every person in this story also had a victim. Every person in this story was offended. That is true. They were hurt. They were brought into this mess. But every person in this story was also an offender. The only people in this story that were 100% a victim through and through were the two slave women who were forced into this thing. And it just made me sit back and realize how often we play victim and excuse our own involvement in the crime because we were hurt, right? And I'm not excusing what happened to you. I'm really not. We all have wounds and they are legitimate and they are real and they hurt. They hurt. But I think we can all agree that Laban did deceive Jacob, and that was not fair. But from that point on, Jacob had a choice to lick his wounds and let them heal or bleed on people who didn't hurt him. And we all have that choice. Uh, this probably feels like a downer. I'm not going to lie. Probably bumming you out. Um, and honestly, I felt that way when I was sermon prepping this week. I'm, I'm reading... And I'm just going, God, I just see a bunch of mistakes. I just see human error just like smeared all over this story, right? 
It, felt, it literally felt like every single person in this story was like, hey, I am now at the roadblock where I need to make a decision. And so here are my options. Which one's the worst choice that I can make? And I'm going to make that choice. Like that's how it felt reading this story, right? And so I, I uh, decided to take it to the Lord in prayer and, and, I, and I closed my Bible and I just, I just said, God, yes, it is so beneficial to, to learn from the human error in this story. It, that, that is beneficial. But also, God, I know that you like to teach us about you and your character. And so, God, show me what you're trying to teach us about you. Show me where you are in this story. Show, show me, show me where, where you are here. And so I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking, and I'm looking some more, and then I found him because he's everywhere. Right? He's in the whole story. Right? He never left. But what I mean is, like, at no point in the story do we read, and then God left because of all the mistakes that they made. Right? That never happened. He's been there the whole time. He did not come and go. He did not abandon or shun. He was here. He was steady, present, giving opportunity for redemption at every choice. It doesn't mean that they, they took that opportunity, but it does mean he gave the opportunity, right? And so I look at the story and I see all this error and all these mistakes, but I also look at the story and I see a God who forgives and a God who love, whose love goes beyond the mistakes when it comes to his people. You know, Romans 8 says, For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither pre the present or the future, not any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. There is nothing in your past or in your present or in your future that can separate you from the Lord. There is no hard decision or mortifying mistake or difficult day or bad moment that is too much for him. I mean, look at this family. It's dysfunctional as all get out, right? It's crazy, but, but he sticks around. He keeps giving them new day after new day, new generation of new generation of opportunities to say yes to him. Uh, Lamentations 3 says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. Oh, I just love that. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning right? Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him, to the one who seeks him. Jeremiah 29, 13 says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. And so I invite you this morning, friends, to say yes to him, to seek him, accept the invitation that he has to redemption. Believe God when he says in John 8, neither do I condemn you and listen to him when he says, now leave your life of sin. And we have something that Jacob and Laban and Leah and Rachel, they didn't have. We have their story. And this morning, the Holy Spirit is inviting us not to make the same mistakes that they did, but to instead, but instead to accept Christ's invitation into a new life, right? New life in our marriages, new life in our dating relationships, in our friendships, in our families. And, and just like in this story, we have a choice to make every single day. On Friday, I woke up to some pretty bad 
news that I did not want and I was not expecting. I was very overwhelmed by that news. My daughter, who's 18 months old, um, has entered this really awesome stage where she just says mommy every breath. And um, that's hard (laughs) and annoying. And I love her, you know, but I'm like, please go away. And I was overwhelmed by the fact that we're leaving on vacation in a couple of days. And my house looks like it was raided. Like it's a disaster and nothing is done and nothing is clean. And I was so irrationally emotional. I was easily agitated. I'm taking it out on everyone and everything. And my husband, he intervened and he told me to go sit outside on our back porch. He said he had the kid under control. He had the cat, who's a disaster, but he had a cat. And and, uh, he's like, I got the dishes. Don't worry about that. Like, I'm going to do it. I'll make you breakfast. Like, it'll be fine. It was like nine in the morning. So I was already, we were already at that point on Friday. It was 9 a.m. So I go outside and I sit on my porch that we don't really have a porch. It's more just like a step. And uh, I'm sitting there and it's cold. And I took a breath, shed some tears, And I ultimately decided to choose to follow Jesus. And you might be thinking, hold up. (laughs) Didn't you like choose to follow Jesus a long time ago? Yes, I did. That is true. But it's also a choice every day, right? Every day we're faced with our decisions and, and the moments that happen throughout our day. And every day we have to choose to say yes. And Friday was not a good day. It was not a good day. But I sat out there and I chose to hand God my emotions. I chose to hand him the bad news that I got. I chose to hand over my parenting because it really was not going well. You know, I chose to hand over my marriage, thanking him for a husband so understanding and attentive to my needs, even though I was being an irrational basket case and I chose to hand over the preparations for our trip because as he shows me time and time again he always works it out every single time right and that's just it he works it out every single time right just like in this dysfunctional mess of a story (laughs) that we were just reading today he works it out he never left This family that we've been talking about this morning, okay, this family, this weird love octagon that we've been trying to work through this morning is the bloodline that brought us Jesus. I mean, talk about a redemption story. Romans 8 says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Friends, God desires to redeem your story. He does. He desires to redeem your marriage. He desires to redeem your parenting. He he desires to redeem those, those, those bad decisions that you think exclude you from his love, but that's not true. And so I invite you this morning to say yes to Jesus. Yes, say yes in the big decision kind of way of I want to follow Jesus. Yes, but also say yes to him every single day. 
Say yes to him at every single moment. It's smaller than just every single day, let's be honest. Days can take a left turn in a matter of seconds and we still have to choose to say yes to him, right? So we're gonna respond in worship. And I just wanna invite you into a moment of surrender. And that's kind of a scary word, right? Surrender, that's kind of a scary word. But think about the power that waving your white flag of I don't have this under control does and realizing that he does work it out for our good every single time. So Jesus, we are here to hand everything over to you, Lord. Jesus, there may be somebody sitting in this room that thinks, man, my family's dysfunctional too. But God, you redeem that. There is no mess too big to keep us from your love. And what a reminder, Lord, that we need every single day that your mercies are new every single morning, Lord. So Lord, I pray for revival in our marriages. I pray for revival in our relationships, God. I pray for hard conversations that lead to healing. I pray for the difficult things that we have to work through as a family, Lord, but being honest with one another and coming forward about our feelings, Lord, and the healing that, that, that you can bring from those moments, God. Lord, I pray for the person struggling with infertility this morning, Lord. Pray for comfort and peace, knowing that you have it all under control. And it may not happen in the timing that they're wanting it to, God, but it will happen in yours. And so, Lord, here we are this morning in full surrender, giving every moment, every decision to you. Lord, we love you so much. Amen.